0: Good morning. Uh, awesome, great. That's a great start. Let me tell you. Good morning, church. All right, all three of you. Good morning. Um, it's good to be here this morning. Thanks, Dave, for the kind words. Uh, it's a privilege to speak. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I just want to share a couple. Of just kind of, I feel like if it's your first time speaking. You got to say a couple quick things about yourself. Uh, my name is Stephen Collins, pastoral resident here at Redemption Tucson. Thanks again, David, for leading so I can be up here and speak. Uh, double dipping would be. Pretty tough and uh, and obnoxious, so I'm glad I don't have to do that. But uh, I'm married. My wife Kelsey and I've been married for two and a half years. Uh, we don't have any kids yet. We do have a little dog named Napoleon. because we do name little dogs big names like Augustus or Maximus or Napoleon. Napoleon does have a Napoleon complex. I can assure you, if you've been to our house, you've seen him. Um, as well as uh, we're both actually from California originally, and it's only by God's grace I think that we deeply love Tucson because Tucson is an acquired taste. Let's just be honest. Tucson is an... Aqu- I love Tucson. I, I, I tell people, I, I deeply love Tucson. And it's not because of the potholes or the 500 days of 1,000 degrees. Uh, we're in like the four days of winter right now. And, uh, and it's still like 75, which is... Some people love it. It's an acquired taste. It takes time. Um, but... With that, uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. Glad you could be here this morning. And uh, and so I just want to jump in and say, if, if uh, have the people that are handing out Bibles come on forward here. If you do not have a Bible, um, if you do have one, turn to Luke chapter uh, one is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. But if you don't have a Bible, please keep this one. Um, these people are going to be. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. These people can get you one. We want to make sure that you have a Bible. If you are new and you don't have one, this is our gift to you. Please keep it. And if you have one, just return it back to the Connect desk. So let's jump in. Got a lot to cover. Let me pray and uh, we'll get going. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. You're so good to us. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified this morning. I pray that you'd be made much of. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me as I speak. Lord, I pray that it would be honoring to you. I pray this all in your name. Amen. We're in the midst of our Advent season, and it's our first Advent season, which is very exciting. Uh, It's an exciting season for us as a church, and we're talking about the return of the King. And this plays an enormous part, Uh, we talk about the story of God, it was our first sermon series as a church. And before we get into that, I think we need to take a step back and understand the context in which the King is coming. The return of the king. And and the Bible is one grand story. It's one grand narrative. You hear about this a lot at Redemption. I don't think we can say it enough. The Bible, every line, every verse, every chapter contributes to this story. Uh, We cannot, as author Mike Goheen talks about, reduce the Bible merely into bits. Theological bits, moral bits, historical bits. This is the story of God over all peoples, all places, at all times. Times. This is the true story of the universe, the true story of history and of the future. And so in light of this narrative, or this story, I think it's appropriate we ask a series of questions this morning. If you're taking notes, these are kind of what's going to guide us this morning. So one, what time is it in the story of God? Where are we at in the arc of the story of God, both in the time of Jesus and today? Two, who is the king? We look at return of the king. Who is the king? Three, What kingdom is he bringing? And four, how do we enter his kingdom? So let's get to work. Number one, what time is it in the story of God? Where are we at in the arc of the story of God? We need to go back to the beginning. God created the world in beauty and honor and goodness. And the kingdom was united. God reigned. And all was in perfect justice, harmony, humanity, creation. And they were flourishing. All was right. It was good. It's what the Bible calls shalom. Perfect unity between man and God, man and one another, and man and creation. It was good, it was shalom, God reigned. But this did not last, as we read from Genesis 1 to 2 to 3. In Genesis 3 we read that in the garden, Adam and Eve, they, ex- they betray God, they sin, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie from Satan. They declare their independence and autonomy against God. Their sin was not so much that they did some obscure rule-breaking, but they declared autonomy against God. They say, we're our own God. We declare what's right and wrong. Thanks, God, but no thanks. We know what is best for us. This is treasonous, and this is tragic. See, because of this event, historically, that we call the fall, sin has now infected and affected all things. See, this sin one author calls culpable shalom breaking. The sin that Adam and Eve, us, you and I collectively and individually have participated in, it has damaged and stained God's world. It has broken our relationships with one another, and it has marred our relationship with God. But the good news is God does not abandon his people, and he does not abandon his world. There were consequences to this event. There were consequences to sin given to humanity. There would be pain in childbirth. Uh, we don't have any kids, Kelsey and I, but everything I see in uh, movies and television, and people I talk to, it looks incredibly painful. Um, some of the moms in here are like, you have no idea. Uh, also, work would be hard. I worked a lot of summers in construction. Um, I know you can tell. And uh, Work is marked by sweat, I can tell you that. Uh, relationships would be broken. Even as we're entering into the holiday season, some of us, this is marked by incredible brokenness. There's actually not a whole lot exciting or encouraging about that. Sin has infected and affected these things. And we still see the consequences to this day. We look out and we see ISIS and Ferguson. We see sex trafficking even in our city. We see brokenness. We see poverty. We see these things. The world is not as it ought to be. And it's all because of sin. All because we didn't want to live under the rule and reign of God. We want to be our own kings establishing our own little kingdoms. But in the midst of this curse that is given to Adam and Eve, to our first parents, a promise is given to Eve that one of her offspring would come and he would crush Satan's head, the ancient serpent who deceived the world. That He would defeat the foe and restore the world. We see that God was and is still ruling. He's still in charge. He's still moving. The God is out to set and restore his kingdom, his creation. God is still on the move. But as the story of God rolls on, we don't see things getting better. In fact, they are getting worse. And sin just starts compounding and compounding. And God calls the people. He promises them a land, a future. And from this people, all the peoples on earth would be blessed. That's Israel. And, and this people is then enslaved for 400 years in a foreign land, Egypt. And yet God is still at work because this is the story of God. He's still moving. He is still at work. And God delivers his people, Israel, from slavery and bondage. You might know the story of Moses, maybe Exodus is coming out. I'm sure it will not be incredibly accurate to what happened. Um, he releases them, brings them back into the land, He gives them the law. God tells them there's to be a light to the nations, and he's, they're supposed to show the world. Israel's supposed to show the world that human flourishing looks like under the rule and reign of God. But again, sadly, this is not what happens. The people rebel again and again, bucking against the rule and reign of God. Rather than being content with God as king, they desire to have a human king. And these kings, one after another, lead the people into sin and to disobeying the law. Instead of being a light to the nations, they simply look like every surrounding people. In the midst of this, God gives a promise to one of those kings, King David. David was one of the good kings, sinful, yes. Adulterer, murderer, yes. But he's a man after God's own heart. And God makes a promise to David. And it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to read it here. Still have your hand in Luke 1. We're going to get there. But God tells David this. You can put it up on the screen here. Second Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. talking about David. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. See, God promises that a king would come from David's line, whose kingdom would have no end. So the people of God waited, but due to their rebellion continued time after time, they even end up sacrificing their children to foreign gods, that Moloch. Due to their rebellion and sin, they're sent into exile to Babylon for a generation, and by God's grace, they returned. And they wait and then comes 400 years of silence God doesn't speak there's no prophet in the land no books of the Bible are written and the people of God are oppressed by first Greece and then Rome and the people of God they're asking themselves they're waiting, they're wondering when will our king come? when will the Messiah come? when will God establish his kingdom and set us free from our oppressors and set the world right? When will the offspring of Eve come and crush our ancient enemy? When will the king of the line of David come and establish his kingdom forever? And this brings us to Jesus. This is the context in which we find ourselves in the story of God. Because the question is, where are we at in the story of God? Where are we at in the arc of the story of God? And we find ourselves in an obscure rural town with a seemingly irrelevant family and a teenage girl who's waiting for her kingdom. Waiting for a king to come. So read with me, you're in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. See what time it is in the story of God. Luke 1: 26 through 38. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man, or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came in to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and Mary said to the angel how will this be since I am a virgin I just want to pause here I, I think Mary's asking a, a fair question on how will this be since I'm a virgin I don't think she's trying to be cute or a smart aleck or, or funny or try to try to put Gabriel in some kind of, in some kind of bind here she's saying um, you know, I, I'm married I, I didn't have health class I got out of that in high school but something's got to happen for babysatting we're going to go there. Some of you, that was the most awkward class you ever took growing up. And I'm bringing back bad memories. But, you know, something's got to happen. And Mary's saying, it hasn't happened yet. And so how is this going to happen? And so we're going to keep moving on before I get myself fired here. And so uh, the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, and in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So where are we at in the story of God? Finally, the king has come. Finally, the king has come. We find out from the angel Gabriel that the king has come. The long-awaited king has come at last. The king is here. After millennia and millennia, the people of God are waiting, and the king is here. The king has come at last. Where are we at in the story of God? The king has come. Question two, who is the king? The king is Jesus of the line of David, the offspring of Eve. Here he is, the king, a baby, born in an animal feeding trough, born of a poor family. And see, we... We talk so much in this Advent season about Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth, which is miraculous. And we see Jesus as a baby, and we see the wise men and the shepherds and the star. And I think we've become so desensitized to all of this that, because this is absolute insanity. Like, this is absolutely crazy. Like, it's just absolutely insane. The incarnation of God, eternal God, becoming flesh in, the, in Jesus as a baby. Like, this is insane. And the reason is, like, have you seen a baby? Like, have you seen it? We just saw one up here. A baby. Some of you have babies. Some of you had a baby. I, we don't have a baby. I've seen babies. And I can tell you, they can do nothing. They can do absolutely nothing. They do like one of four things. They eat, sleep, poop, and cry. Like, they do one of those four things all the time. We watched a baby recently. Um, so I have great experience with babies. And we're uh, like, what are you talking about? Uh, Watched the baby for a number of hours and literally she sat in this little car seat thing on her couch for like five hours and did eating, sleeping, crying, like in one of those orders and then there's the small window or large window depending on the baby that they're just looking cute. And so you got that. And so the question I have is how is this baby going to destroy Satan? End injustice, eradicate evil. What is this baby going to do? It's Jesus the creator of the universe, the one by whom and for whom all things were created, enters the world he created as a baby. Jesus, God in the flesh, is born to a no-one family. Let's just try to wrap our minds around. He's born to a no-one family in a nowhere corner of the world. Nobody's insignificant, seemingly, he doesn't come as a war general or get born into the high priest's home or going to, gets adopted by Caesar or something. He's born into this family. It's just, it's just It tells us something about greatness, about the character of God. It tells us something about humility. If you want to be great, be humble. If you want to lead, serve. Christianity is the only religion where we see God is humble. Jesus coming as a baby. And I, It just blows my mind. The king of the universe, the king of kings, Lord of lords, eternal God comes as a baby. And I tell you, this isn't how I would have done it. Like, luckily, this is the story of God, not the story of Stephen. Um, Because and when you get, like, the whiteboard out and the father and the son are talking, this wouldn't have been, all right, you're going to come as a baby. Like, that wouldn't have been on the whiteboard. That wouldn't have been part of the game plan. But Jesus comes as a baby. My plan, if I was, like, drawing this thing up, here's the play, Jesus is, like, Bandana on, like, let's do this thing. Like, Jesus is descending with like machine guns blazing, like, coming down on, like a flying tank. And this is going to go quickly because. No one's got tanks, man. And so he's just coming down, and just I just picture, like, Rome, you're done. Here we go. Enemies eradicated. I just picture, like, oorah, Jesus coming. And I give it today, I think, for just creative irony. But I'm sick of seeing this, like, go devils hashtag. Like, for creative irony, irony Jesus would come, like, right on Sun Devil's stadium. Just for, for the irony of it all. Like, oh, go devils. Huh? Here we go. Boom. We are here. And I just think that, that just makes a lot of sense. But... And this is, in some ways, what Israel expected, too. The king's here. Let's grab our swords. Let's go. I don't know why swords are down here, but grab our swords. Let's do this thing. And this is not my story, but it's God's story. And this baby is born a king, and he grows and begins his public ministry now as a man. And we read this last Sunday, but I think it's important to understand how central the kingdom of God is to Jesus. So you can read with me Mark 1, 14, and 15 will be up here on the screen. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is first words that we have recorded of Jesus. First line, first words, first book, Mark. Chapter 1, what does Jesus say? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Hear me, the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. The kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. Every kingdom that has ever existed has one thing in common. A king. Every kingdom has one thing in common, and it is a king. See, the king comes, and therefore so does his kingdom. I want this to, how is the kingdom of God here? The kingdom of God is here because the king has come. And then Jesus starts doing things like healing people and exercising demons and saying people's sins are forgiven, which is something only God can do, which tells us something about who Jesus is. That one's for free. And uh, he starts raising people from the dead and calming the natural order. Storm, you are done. He takes a little boy's lunchbox and feeds thousands of people. And what he's doing, he, he, Jesus cares for people. It's absolutely that. But Jesus also is giving a foretaste, a movie trailer, if you will, a preview of what the kingdom of God will be like. There'll be no sickness, no pain, no death, no sin, no demons, good food good wine. Jesus turned water into wine. Some of us are saying amen, but there will be that. Um, and most of all, the kingdom for the king. And so, the question is, who is this king? The king is Jesus, and he is good. And then something very unexpected happens. He is put to death by the very people he came for. The incarnation, Jesus' birth, activity, all of this should point us to the cross. See, Jesus did not just come to heal people and do miraculous deeds. He died for our sins. See, Jesus came to die. That was his mission. The wages of sin is death. The price of sin is death. We deserve death. You deserve death. I deserve death. So Jesus died in our place for our sin. Jesus takes all of our sin because from the beginning, from the garden, from the dawn of time, all throughout the ages, the problem is sin and it must be dealt with. And it is dealt with in Jesus. See, Jesus must die to get the people of God to live in the kingdom of God, to rule under the reign of God. See, Jesus must die to get the people of God back to live in the kingdom of God under the rule and reign of God this king he created us but he also died for us and the good news is death cannot defeat our king death cannot defeat our king he rose again defeated death showing the power of our king and the power of his kingdom see the question really how will this baby eradicate evil this baby grows up to be a man and this man dies and he rises again showing us the power that is in his name the power that is in our king the power that is in his kingdom death is defeated, Satan is beginning to be overthrown. And so he appears then after his resurrection to his disciples. And after his resurrection, it says in Acts chapter 1, you can go to the next slide here, these are some of the last words of Jesus that were told about Jesus. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting that Jesus begins first words, first line, the kingdom of God is a hand, but also one of the last things we hear is Jesus is continuing to talk about the kingdom of God. Jesus can't stop talking about the kingdom of God. From beginning to end, our king is talking about his kingdom. See, Jesus is proclaiming this because Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Who is the king? Jesus is the king of the line of David. He's of the offspring of Eve who will crush and did crush. Satan. And he is also the suffering servant who takes away the sin of the world. So, where are we at in the story of God? Who is our king? But also, another question we got asked is what kind of kingdom is this? What is this kingdom all about? Like we looked at earlier, Jesus brought foretastes of the kingdom in his miracles, showing us what. His kingdom would be like There'd be no death. There's food and wine. I'm just going to keep saying that one. Um, There'd be no sickness. And something that Ricardo Stewart said up at at Redemption Timpy I found helpful, and uh, we'll have it up on the screen here. He says, one way to describe the kingdom of God is that it's God's reign over God's people in God's place. One way to describe the kingdom of God is that it's God's reign over God's people in God's place. So what kind of kingdom is Jesus bringing? It's a kingdom that's all about Jesus. It's his kingdom, his people, his place. The kingdom is all about the king. You can't love the kingdom and not love the king. You cannot enter the kingdom without being made right with the king. We'll get to this in a, in a few minutes here. The kingdom is all about the king, but also this kingdom is already but not yet. And, and this is huge. This is something we talk about a lot at Redemption. We talk about the story of God. We talk about the already but not yet. We'll talk about the sacred secular divide. When Jesus arrived... The kingdom really was and is here, but it's not yet in fullness. That's why when Jesus rose from the death, not all the effects of sin were destroyed immediately. There's still injustice, pain. We still see the effects of the fall. We still see the effects of sin. See, Jesus' kingdom is here because the king is here, but not yet in completion See, where are we at in the story of God? Where are we at in the arc of the story? We're in the already but not yet. That's where we're at in the story. Marked by the already and not yet. And like Dave said earlier, Advent is marked by looking back at Jesus' first coming in weakness as a servant to die in our place for our sin. His coming to deal with sin, to pave a way for salvation. But it's also marked by looking forward to the day where Jesus will not come in humility and weakness, but He will come in power and glory to us to complete His kingdom. And on that day, all pain will end, death will be no more, and we will fully live under the rule and reign of Jesus. We look forward to that day. We look forward to the return of the king. So what kind of kingdom is this? This kingdom is all about Jesus. It's marked by the already and not yet. The kingdom is all-encompassing. The third aspect of this kingdom Tyler Johnson, passed pastor over all of redemption, said this once at a conference. He might have been quoting somebody else. But it really stuck with me, and I want to share it with you guys. Uh, Tyler Johnson said this. If you have a Christ who is indifferent toward the arts, justice, law, education, etc., then you have a very little Christ who rules over a very little kingdom. God's kingdom is not reduced to merely spiritual matters. God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is comprehensive in its scope. Jesus' kingdom is comprehensive in its scope. Art is a kingdom issue. Work is a kingdom issue. All of life is all for Jesus. All of life is all for the king. Therefore, all of life is a kingdom issue. The idea of let's hunker down and endure this bad world and just wait it out until we get to leave this dark place and go be with God forever is not only dangerous but it's unbiblical see being part of the kingdom of God is not about leaving this world to go to the spiritual realm we've talked about this a lot this is the Greek idea of the sacred secular divide not biblical thinking the world, the created order was good sin infected and uninfected it it was broken and now Jesus is out to restore his creation, his kingdom will be brought to completion on this world Another aspect of the kingdom is it's real. It is real it's physical. It is really coming and it is really here. And I want to clear something up here. My goal is clarity right now, so hear me. I believe when I die as somebody who has trusted and surrendered his life to Jesus, I will leave this world and be with Jesus in heaven. That is promise to the Christian. I believe that. But that's not the end of the story. That is not the fullness and completion of the kingdom. At the end of time, the kingdom coming at last in fullness, finally the end of injustice, the end of pain, the end of suffering, man and God restored, people restored, creation restored, is is not a picture, all being made new is not a picture of us ascending to be with God in some spiritual realm, but it's one at the end of time we see God descending To be with his people. Here, we read that in Revelation 21. God's restored earth in a new city. God and man together. And God restoring his creation. You can read about that in Revelation 21. We read it last week. But even something that's one of the most compelling reasons for me of this. Something author and pastor Tim Keller said. Is if at the end of time. The earth is destroyed, and at the end of time, we are sent off to some ethereal, spiritual heaven with Jesus. That means Satan won something. That we with him did damage that not even God could undo. That the world was so infected and so broken because of sin that not even Jesus' redemptive work could set it right. See, when we talk about renewed creation, we're saying that Jesus' redemption reaches as far as the sin has infected. We're saying that as far as sin has infected and not affected, Jesus' redemption goes even further. We're saying that Satan has won nothing. We're saying he has no claim. Over anything, we're saying His kingdom will have no ground, no claims, nothing left. Jesus will rule and reign, and all things that are broken will be made right. This is good news. I-, I think it's important that we talk about where are we at in the story of God. I think it's important that we talk about who is the king and what kind of kingdom is this, but. I think it's also important that we talk about how do we enter this kingdom? How do we enter his kingdom? Because even if we all want to be a part of it, it doesn't mean we all will be. So that leaves one final question, number four. How do I enter his kingdom? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? And thankfully, Jesus answers this critical question in John chapter 3. So one of the last scriptures we're going to look at, John 3. You can turn with me. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Again, I don't think Nicodemus is trying to be a smart aleck or be cute or funny here. He's asking him honest, but Jesus is to be born again. Do I have to enter my mother's womb a second time? Because that sounds awkward and impossible and going to be a problem. Uh, Fair question, Nicodemus. And I'm going to say this is maybe my favorite and most thankful time that Jesus is using... Imagery and metaphor and a word picture to describe um, a a spiritual reality. Um, And we should all be very thankful that this uh, passage should not be taken literally. And we can all thank uh, Jesus for that. So we must be born again, though, to enter the kingdom of God. We're born again by faith. We are born again by faith. By looking and surrendering to Jesus, not only by acknowledging him as king over all things, but by submitting our lives in surrender to his rule and his reign over all of life. By faith in Jesus, by looking to Jesus, by surrendering to Jesus, in his person and work on the cross, we may be born again. This is something we're just going to keep talking about. Jesus dying in our place for our sin. Because on the cross, Jesus exchanges. Jesus substitutes himself for me. See, on the cross, Jesus takes all of my sin, and I get all of his perfection and righteousness, what church history has called the great exchange See, Jesus gives me his perfection. I take his sinful record. Because of the cross, a transaction occurs. We call this justification. Because of the cross and Jesus substituting himself for me, I am declared right and justified with God. Not because I am right. Not because I am right, but because I have Christ's record, I am declared righteous. When God looks at me, He declares me righteous because I am in Christ. This is so much more than mere forgiveness. We are made right in Christ. And my question is, do you believe this? Have you surrendered your life to this Jesus who has done this for you? The Bible says repeatedly that we are dead and God makes us alive. We need Jesus to awaken us and give us life. In Christ, we're literally a new person. We get a new legacy, a new identity. We're justified. We're made right in the sight of God. We're also adopted into the family of God. This is being born again. This is the language of being born again, a whole new person. It's as if you're being born again. See, God does this in us. We do not muster this up ourselves. God does this in us. We do not muster this up ourselves. And this is the only way be a part of the kingdom of God. It's the only way to be a part of the kingdom of God. Surrendering to Jesus. Jesus paved a way, and He's inviting you to enter in. Being born again is all about repentance about turning to Jesus, turning from sin, and turning to Jesus. Being born again is all about surrendering your life to the rule and reign of God. All of history is marked by people not wanting to submit all of life to the rule and reign of God. All of the Bible is marked by this. Adam and Eve did not want to live all of life under the rule and reign of God. Israel did not want to live all of life under the rule and reign of God. The Pharisees, the religious leaders who put Jesus to death, did not want to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. Do you? You want to live under the rule and reign of God. See, the the reality is we all want to be our own king, ruling over our own kingdom. Our kingdom may be our home, our family, our cubicle, our image, our name, our legacy, our stuff, our money, our degree, the list goes on and on. And you might even be using God or Christianity or this community to get those things. My question is, is God your ultimate treasure, or are you using God to get what you most truly desire? Security, community, status, peace, family, meaning. Hear me, the kingdom is not most glorious because there will be security, or potentially family, or peace, or community, or meaning. The kingdom of God is not most glorious because there will be no more pain or death or sorrow. The kingdom of God is not most glorious because there will be great food and wine. Um, you can hate Jesus and say, I, I want a good filet and a good cat. Like you can say, I hate Jesus and I want that. I want no more sickness, no more pain. I want a good filet, good wine, but Jesus, no thanks. The kingdom of God is most glorious because the king is there the kingdom of god is most alluring and attractive and glorious to the christian because the king is there ruling and reigning that is the most attractive thing and that is the mark of those that are truly being born again they long supremely for jesus and hear me you and i will struggle to believe this but at your gut level but at the gut level of those who are who are born again they long supremely For Jesus. And let me just tell you whatever kingdom you're building, if it's not Christ, it will be overthrown. You may be building the kingdom of family or, or work or career or status or the great kingdom of self. But our kingdom, it will not last. It cannot last. It will not satisfy. It cannot carry the weight. Hear me, Redemption Tucson. We make horrible kings. We make awful kings. Our kids make awful kings, and our families make bad kingdoms. We make awful kings. Jesus is the good king who is bringing his good kingdom, and he is enough. He can carry the weight. So in closing, I want you to be motivated and empowered by this, not ridden with guilt. Jesus loves you. And he wants all of you because Jesus is where joy and peace and security and life find their source and find their fullness. In Jesus, fullness of joy is found. And when you fail, as you will and I will, there is grace. There is grace. Jesus is calling you to this, but he's also calling you as a son or a daughter to engage in building his kingdom. We talked about Jesus brought foretaste of his kingdom and his healing, miracles, compassion for the poor, fighting injustice. And today he's bringing forth foretaste of his kingdom through his church, through us. And so a huge part of living for the kingdom is to be foretaste of the kingdom in all of life. We're to show what the kingdom of God will be like. I want this to be incredibly practical for us. So leaving here, I want this to be practical. Ways that we can bring foretaste, promote justice, display compassion, restore relationships, Seek the common good of our city. Love others. Bless people who are like you and unlike you. Care for the earth. Be an advocate for those who do not have a voice. Be creative. Proclaim the cross of Jesus with our mouths and with all of life. So church, we are being sent as ambassadors of our King to our world to proclaim with our mouths and with all of life how good our King is to proclaim what our King has done for us and what His kingdom will be all about. So let us live in such a way, Redemption Tucson, that people in our city would long for our King and His kingdom. Let us live all of life, all for King Jesus, in patient expectation for His coming and His bringing of His kingdom in all of its fullness. Let me pray. Jesus, we look forward to the day that you will bring your kingdom in its fullness. We look forward to the day where our faith will be made sight. We live in the already, but not yet, in these in-between times. Jesus, you are good. You are enough. Our kingdom will not last. It will not stand, for it cannot. Thank you for the grace when we fail. Lord, I pray that we feel empowered from this. That you know where we're at in the story of God, we would know who our king is. We would know what his kingdom will be like. We would also know how to enter his kingdom. If we haven't done that yet, I bet we would surrender our life all to Jesus. You are so good to us. We can only love you because you first loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you've done. Thank you for bringing your kingdom. And thank you for letting us be a part of it and bring foretastes of it. You're so good to us, Jesus. I pray this in your name, king Jesus. Amen.